Y'all are listening to the Maverick of Marketing Radio Show. And now, here's your host, Shannon Maverick. I think I say it every week, but every week I just love that little whip crack intro. (laughs) Hey, y'all, this is your host of Maverick of Marketing, Shannon Maverick, and I am so excited to be with you this Monday morning, as always. Um, I feel like every week I have a different producer with me in studio, but this morning, so lucky to have with me, actually, MarketScale's Director of Publications, Mr. Ben Thomas. Hey, Shannon, how's it going this morning? Not too bad. Helping me out on the the ones and twos, is that what it is? The zeros and ones, I think, I think (laughs) is. Yeah, that's the that's the tech term. This is this is not my my realm of expertise. It's yours. So you got uh, it half right. The one the zeros and ones. Feel free to correct me as I make mistakes because, like I said, this is not my area. This is just me having fun. No, so. that's 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 great. It's uh <laughs> it's fun to be here. Uh, Tyler's out this week, but yep. uh, I'm excited to be with you this morning. Yes, sir. And we have a really fun show this morning. So um, probably the most exciting thing that I cannot wait to get to is um, our special guest on the show this morning, Mr. Nick Stagg, um, the chief marketing officer of a great retail software company called Wooly. Um, He's going to be speaking with us all about his experiences, kind of moving from working for some, in my humble opinion, very iconic brands, um, GoPro, Skull Candy, Zoomies for all my skater friends out there. I'm an ex-skater girl, uh, as the Avril Lavigne song goes. (laughs) But um, yeah, he'll be speaking with us all about his experiences in kind of coming from companies with really established marketing, um, marketing strategies, marketing plans to a company where he kind of has some free reign and he gets to um, almost use his experiences to build out uh, a marketing strategy of his own. So he'll be sharing with us some fun experiences that he's had so far at Wooly and some of his tips and tricks and just little bit of uh, knowledge on the topic, but also a couple of fun articles that have come up uh, recently. Lyft, the very iconic um, rideshare company, is actually pulling its scooters out of several big uh, metroplexes across the country. So we'll find out which one of those you need to be checking out for and if you'll lose your favorite scooter uh, option. So it's a big news. I know. I know. So and then another one. Um, particularly for my friends such as myself that are non-dairy supporters. The largest dairy um, and milk producer is actually filing for bankruptcy. So, (laughs) woo-hoo! We're excited. (laughs) That that might have a lot more to do with marketing than than, uh, we know. know. That's a good tease. That's a good tease, though. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, So we'll find out all about that, what's going on. And then finally, Twitter is actually kind of taking a stand opposite to the other big um, social media platform giant Facebook. It's actually pulling out of political ads and supporting and allowing for political um, ad campaigns being run on the platform. So we'll hear a quick little soundbite on um, Joshua Green, the national correspondent for Bloomberg, talking about why he thinks this is a good push for Twitter, other than the obvious, just kind of staying out of the drama of it all. So exciting show, fun show. And let's get to Lyft. I actually love Lyft. I use Lyft scooters going to and from Deep Ellum and Uptown. But if you're in any of the following cities, Nashville, San Antonio, Columbus, Atlanta, Phoenix, and sadly, Dallas, you will no longer be seeing Lyft scooters as of November 22nd. So coming up pretty quick. That's that's fast. Yeah. 
They, uh, in an interview that they did with CNN, it said that the reason why they're pulling scooters out of these big cities is because it was due to actually 20 layoffs in the scooters and bikes division. And 20 layoffs results in around 400 people losing their jobs. So that's that's a pretty big chunk. Of well, that's, that's that tough, too, because I think one of the... Uh, the unsung heroes, if you will, of the scooter industry is, the, is their chargers, the people who pick them up and lay them out yeah. every day. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's significant for them. I haven't personally ridden a Lyft scooter. I've ridden Lime and Bird and I feel like the Uber one. I think they have a red one. But yeah. Uh, I haven't I haven't ever ridden one of the lift ones, but the pretty purple ones. Yeah, the pretty the pretty purple <laughs> ones. What I'm what I'm curious to see though is how how do they actually go about taking all of them away, right? Because, you know, they're I'm I'm just spitballing here. I'm going to say three thousand. I don't know. That sounds right. Scooters in Dallas. Sure. For lift scooters. How do they get them all out? How do they? And what do they do with them? You know, I'm not sure. The interview only talked about the reasoning behind why they've decided. It says they want to focus on markets where we can have the biggest impact. I'm assuming, I guess, their actual ride share with their vehicles is the biggest impact in those six major cities. Um, But they're going to continue to invest in growing bikes and scooter business, but will shift resources away from smaller markets in those where they're not seeing the biggest return. They didn't really talk about logistics. So I imagine it's going to be a slow like regression but then again they said by 11 by november 22nd they're gonna pull them out so maybe they've slowly already started and we just haven't noticed i'm i'm sure they already have what's interesting though is is you see a lot of these scooter companies trying to come into areas that don't really have great biking paths or anything like that already and they're trying to i don't want to say force their way into the market but you know, Dallas, for example, right? I live close enough to where I could probably scooter over here every day, but the roads are so bad and the sidewalks are so bad that I can't, I can't even bike over here. Well, it said one of the major reasons why they pulled them out of, I think Atlanta has been the biggest one that they're going for first is because they've had like six scooter related deaths in the last quarter or Mm. or something to that effect. I I didn't remember the exact quote, but I think it's significant enough to where they, they don't see the return. It doesn't make sense. So they're just going to focus on the markets that are particularly, um, revenue driven for them and i guess that's the cars yeah we'll see I, it pays off i am a lyft aficionado i i do i'm gonna make a crazy statement here i do prefer lyft over uber that's not that radical is it not it's not okay i feel like most people i know are like uber diehards uber is the kleenex of the ride share but a lot of people <laughs> use off-brand kleenex that is a tagline if i've ever heard it <laughs> yeah so be on the lookout if you're in those big cities um but on to probably my favorite news topic of the last week or so uh the largest milk producer dean foods is pulling out and filing for bankruptcy now for fellow vegans or dairy uh, what would be the word aficionado <laughs> no because i'm not a dairy aficionado i am a, you're a milk you're alternative a, you're a reverse dairy aficionado <laughs> exactly um yeah they said that dean sales have been down seven percent in the first six months of 2019 and as of right now they're down 14 so it's doubled within the last year and that's because uh they've seen a huge rise in the milk alternative uh, market at 118 billion dollars in surpass. I, 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 yes, I believe that. <laughs> yes. I, be- I do. But here's, here was kind of my tease earlier. When was the last time you saw a Got Milk ad? Oh, I actually feel like it wasn't that long ago, strangely enough. Well, you might have just killed my point. I, oh, I haven't seen one. I watch TV pretty yeah. regularly and I haven't seen one in probably 10 years. Yeah, I, I, it definitely hasn't been within the last 
year, but I feel like I had seen one. And every time I see them, I'm like, oh, the information is wrong. That <laughs> uh, is driven by the, what is it? The dairy farmers the dairy of America, farmers, yeah. which is exactly how they're trying to bail themselves out of this. They have, they're in talks with the DFA about a deal in which the DFA would buy almost all of Dean Foods. Um, they've also secured about $850 million from other um, financing from existing lenders. So they're trying, they're making a stand, but I mean, you just have to go the way that the market is moving and just the cost to run a dairy, the amount of water that goes into running a dairy, you just have, it's it's exorbitant, the amount of costs that go into trying to produce just one gallon of milk. But I, so, I'll step off my vegan soap. No, that's that's fine. I appreciate <laughs> that. I, I, I will say, though, I, I don't know that I fully agree with the, the vegan trend being the big reason that it's really going away. But... I, you know, if you think about it too, so so I, I'm a milk buyer, but I Ooh, buy almond milk a lot of the okay. time because it lasts a lot longer, right? Yeah. So I, I go to the store and I can have milk for a week and pay, what, three bucks, or I could pay the same $3 and have milk for closer to a month because it's, you know, it's non-dairy, it's almond milk, whatever it is. But, yeah, you know, that's a pretty big contributing factor to me. Yeah. And I think it just goes without saying that you just really have to follow the way the market's going. And most people I know now are milk alternative users. So I don't know. Interesting. But Dean Foods is the biggest milk producer in America. And that has that speaks volumes to what's going on in the dairy market. So. It, is, it is a fact. Milk consumption is down 40% over the last 40 years. So yeah, exactly. There you go. I know. Since 1975. Mm -hmm. But great. So and finally, we have Twitter. Whether you're a Facebook user, Instagram user, Twitter user, Twitter has actually made a stand in the last couple of weeks to drop political ads from the platform. And we're going to be hearing from a quick uh, clip from Joshua Green talking on CNN about um, just why he thinks that's a good decision for Twitter. Yeah. Dorsey made this decision. I think it's why it's a good decision. Uh, political ads don't bring in a lot of money. As we've seen from Zuckerberg, they bring big headaches. And this is a way of stepping out and saying, you know what, I'm not going to get my company involved in mm -hmm. this. So interesting, kind of taking a different approach from just wanting to most people assume that I think political ads are huge money makers for these platforms. And I think that Zuckerberg has done a great job in proving that it actually costs more in the legal fees that you get wrapped up in than you do any of the ad money that you're getting. So to hear from a Bloomberg correspondent saying that they're only really making three million a year from these ads. I mean, in comparison to what the platform makes from other forms of advertising, that's pretty minuscule in comparison. And I think it's it's an interesting stand. And it'll be interesting to see if it'll drop after the next election, if they'll allow those again, if it's kind of just a timely thing with the election coming up, or if this is a tried and true um, decision that Twitter's gonna hold for however long the platform lives on, so. You know what's interesting though is now, not taking a stance is taking a stance. <laughs> You're so true. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's hilarious. You're right, though. Uh, you know, Twitter saves probably, you know, $20 million in legal fees by doing this. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, it keeps them out of the courts. It keeps the platform a little more neutral, obviously. Um, and it allows for, at least I, I hate logging onto Facebook. I rarely get on Facebook anymore, anyways. But just to see the amount of. Um, Democrats this, Republicans this. It's like, gosh, can I just see updates from my grandmother on what she's doing and not be bombarded by everyone's political stance on 
stupid little things. It's just. Ugh. Hey, it's the core tenet of marketing. Everybody wants to be heard. Everybody wants to feel important. <sighs> I know that funny little thing. Yeah. Marketing. <laughs> well, anyways, that about does it for our news portion. So after this quick commercial break, we're going to be hearing from Nick Stagg, the chief marketing officer at Woolly, all on um, the, the topic of kind of building a marketing strategy kind of from the ground up. So we will be right back with Mr. Stagg. Today's content is brought to you by MarketScale. Do you run a B2B business? Nobody creates more podcasts, videos, case studies, and blogs for B2B marketers like you than MarketScale. Ask us how we can help you today. All right, everybody, we are back from that quick commercial break and joined with us today is Mr. Nick Stagg, the Chief Marketing Officer at Woolly. Nick, how are you doing this morning? I'm good. Just drinking a glass of milk. Thanks. No. <laughs> uh oh. As I sit I'm here and kidding. sip I'm my uh, almond milk latte. <laughs> no. No judgment to anyone. I'm I just. I think it's just interesting the way that the market's going, and you just have to kind of look at the trends. But no judgment here, whether you're yeah, drinking you <laughs> milk or almond milk. But uh, thanks so much uh, for, for neither. But. Oh, good. Well, thanks so much for being with us this morning. Um, as I kind of mentioned, you have worked for some really, really, I mean, monumental brands in the space, GoPro, Skull Candy, Zoomies, and coming now working for Woolly, you, you're kind of building a marketing strategy from, there wasn't a ton of history with it when you jumped on the team. So if you wouldn't mind kind of coming from working for some of those bigger brands with previously established marketing strategies, how has it kind of differed working for a company where you kind of have a blank slate to work from? That's a good question. It's uh, there's so many ways that it's different, but um, you know, I think I think one of the the key kind of variables here is there's no baseline. It's so interesting when you when you don't have a baseline to know what has worked in the past, uh, what hasn't worked in the past, and so in that sense, it feels like everything you're doing is new. And everything you're doing is a gamble. Yeah. There's no data to help inform your your decisions. So you have to then be really creative at how you go gather information, what information you decide to process and to lean on as you make you make a move. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's really tough. And then when when you add to it that resources are they're scarce if they exist at all. You have really little budget. You, you, you have a small team. If you're lucky enough to even have a team, uh, they're stretched really thin and there's this never ending pile of things to get done. So you have to, you have to be really great at prioritizing what needs to be done versus maybe what you want to get done. Yeah. At some of those other companies, I was yeah. able to do what I wanted. Um, I was able to prioritize the the big win as opposed to some of the more mundane day-to-day things. And in startup mode, you just can't do that. And you add all of that together, and, you, and then you recognize, well, I don't have any time either. You know, I, I don't have uh, an extended run rate. Our cash flow is not, you know, we're not, Scrooge McDuck diving into a, a vault of gold coins. Right. So 
we have to do everything without data. We have to do everything without resources and we have to do it faster than, than you've ever done before. So it's really a fun challenge. It's hard, but it's a fun challenge. Yeah, it's not the typical nine to five whenever you're kind of going uh, from the seat of your pants, if you will. Like you said, there's no established data to really say, okay, this is what we need to do. You're creating that baseline. So it's got to be led with some challenges. But what are some of the most exciting moments that you've had so far uh, working with Wooly? Yeah, I think when when you're faced with those sort of obstacles, you start to get really creative and you start to you start to rely on things that maybe you didn't have to rely on before. Um, one of the, the areas that's just been so fun for me and has actually been really successful for Wooly is leaning into owned and earned media. You know, there, that's a, in some ways that's a lost art, but everyone's just throwing dollars at paid advertising because you can move faster. You can move at scale. You can get your data and then you can optimize it for on. But it's been really fun for us to double down on earned and owned media and, and try to figure out and how to test our ideas and our messaging through those platforms and those those channels. Um, so that that's one that I think has been fun. The, the other piece that has just been really exciting for me is that Personally, I'm learning all about other parts of the business. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're a small startup team, yeah, I was hired as the CMO, but I'm heavily involved in our uh, HR process. I'm heavily involved in fundraising and the operations of our business. Um, so you start to to get a deeper look at other parts of the business. And when you do that, you really start to have empathy for your, your counterparts. For, for a very long time, I thought, oh, I'm, I'm a good counterpart to the sales organization. But once you become the sales organization <laughs> right. and you, you're working in that, your mentality changes. And it helped, it helped me uncover maybe I wasn't as good of a counterpart to the sales organization as I could have been or should have been because I didn't really understand their day-to-day or I didn't understand the hurdles that they were facing or just the mentality that they were approaching um, a new prospect with. So that, that's been fun for me. Um, I think the, the last piece here, which has been the most fun, is joining Wooly, I was really excited about the the promise of what we were doing. And as as I've jumped in, I'm four months in, we've uncovered more and more. And we've, we've taken a future that was a little foggy and we've made it really clear. And the, the promise that we're trying to build and the, you know, the, the North Star that we're now aiming towards, mm-hmm. I, I believe is a game changer. I believe it's, it's a way to disrupt the way consumers are buying product and the way that marketers are interacting with consumers and the odds are in startup life we are going to fail but the 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 level of excitement around that idea and the concept is great 
And as we've started shopping that around with our existing customers, new prospects and marketing, uh, I'll use your term, marketing mavericks, <laughs> we're getting a, a lot of head knots and, and real interest and real excitement about what we're doing. So every day we, we're kind of getting up with more and more conviction that what we're building is game changing. And that sort of momentum, I think, is more exciting than anything I've done before. Yeah, it makes it all worth it. And I'd love to touch yeah. on uh, something that you said a little earlier. In Last week, I shared an article that I found on Forbes that talked about the title of chief marketing officer or VP of marketing. It's kind of falling to the wayside. And you touched on, I think, not only in kind of the startup culture, but even large corporations, the idea if you are just with a marketing title, it kind of puts the responsibility of marketing just on the marketing team. Whereas if you have titles like chief customer officer, chief um, operations officer, it kind of puts marketing on the company as a whole. So do you kind of align with that that mentality on if you kind of pigeonhole yourself in that way, it, it makes it marketing fall heavily on the team? Or do you find in your kind of experiences with Wooly, marketing kind of a hands-on company-wide adventure? Yeah, I think, I think marketing has to be a company-wide initiative. I mean, the, the truth is the sales team, they're selling one-to-one. The product team are selling to an end user. Marketing is selling to a community, to a larger one-to-many type idea. Everybody on, in the company should align around, we're, we're selling. We're, we just have different roles within that. And I, I'm, a, I'm from Utah. I'm a huge basketball fan. I love the jazz. Um, and I, I love the evolution of basketball. 20 years ago, it was very much you had five positions and each player was extremely different from the other. And you had to find a way to work with very unique individuals on the court. If you look at the way basketball works now, it's just one through five great players. Everybody needs to be able to do a little bit of everything. Totally. Right. You need to be interchangeable. You need to support each other. You need to be able to switch. And I think in business, that same evolution is happening. No longer can you just sit back and say, hey, I'm the CMO, and so I, I'm not going to be involved with products because I don't know anything about building technology, or I'm, I'm uh, the head of sales. I'm not going to be focused on key marketing initiatives. It, it just doesn't work anymore. You, yep. You've just got to be... Uh, capable and willing to roll your sleeves up and help each other as a team, regardless of position, regardless of title. It's it's uh, one through five, just got to be basketball players. I love it. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I, I'm glad we're on the same page. I think it's great to have the whole, because everyone has a different perspective on the running of the company. And if you can have the best to your ability or best to your knowledge um, experience that you want to deliver to the customer, you have to have hands-on experiences with every aspect that will touch the customer. So glad to hear that. And with all the exciting opportunities that come from working in this environment, I'm sure there are some challenges that you've been faced with whether ones that you kind of knew were going to come your way and some that kind of shocked you, you weren't expecting to, to see those. So can you share a couple of those um, moments that you've had? 
Yeah, of course. Um, we we've really only been selling our our platform for twelve months, and we've had a lot of success, and we're doing really well. But stepping in, I was excited about being the CMO and supporting the sales team and, and their their efforts. Well, for a variety of reasons, our sales team has been in flux and had some some changes, and it's affected our pipe. Um, so four weeks into the job, I was asked to also take over the sales organization. And that sort of, re- you know, kind of speaks to this whole concept of playing the one through the five. You got to be able to do a little bit of everything. Absolutely. Um, I don't see myself running the sales organization for long. And we're lucky that we do have a really great sales team, um, an AE and a BDR that, that are just doing well, but needed support. So that's, that's been a challenge in, in the sense that it slows down some of the things I'd like to do on the marketing side and content creation and testing messaging and launching a new website. And all of these things now are pulled at one another, but you've got to find a way to prioritize what's the most important thing today and tomorrow and next week and, and just be okay with some things being pushed back temporarily. That's a challenge though. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, I do love marketing and and that is my passion and that is my experience and that's what I want to do. But for the, for the betterment of the company, you got to, you got to be willing to take on those responsibilities and help kick a department up that needs help. And uh, we've, we've been really lucky that in three months we've been able to pick that up and things are moving up and to the right aggressively. And I'm going to start stepping into marketing more and more fully. Um, but that's not something that I was expecting. But I look back and I'm so grateful that it happened because I think now as I'm leaning back more heavily into marketing, it actually is probably going to make me a a better support system for the sales team. I was just about to say that exact thing. And we'd kind of talked earlier about which topic you were going to speak about. And I definitely want to have you back on the show to really talk about how you truly have been a great alignment for the sales team and the marketing team. And just like you said, I think really having a hands-on approach with the sales team from the get-go, you might not have expected it, but I think in the long run, it's going to make your your messaging to your customers that much stronger and really be a true bridge between those two departments, kind of talking about that five-player mentality. So we'll have you back on to talk more in depth about that. But I definitely think that's a challenge that you face that will be even better um, in the long run. So thank you so much, Nick, for for joining us uh, this morning. We'll have you back on the show again. I can't wait to have your thought leadership and your expertise on that. But thanks for sharing all about kind of marketing in an open space, if you will. So have a great rest of your day and thanks for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. That was Nick Stagg, the Chief Marketing Officer of Wooly, and what a great guy. He just truly is, I mean, you want to talk about kind of a go-getter, and I just, his content on LinkedIn is insane, so please follow him. He has some great thought-leading ideas, but um, what a great show. Absolutely. We've only got about two, two and a half minutes left. Is there anything you want to wrap up with? I mean, this is the part of the show where I normally tell everyone where the heck I'm going to be this week, but... 
it just seems that I'm staying in the office. So I guess I will not be scootering anywhere downtown on Lyft scooters. <laughs> yeah, no. not after the 22nd, you won't. <laughs> no, um, no, I'll be staying in town, but there will be some market scalians out at the IAPA show, um, the amusement and attraction show. Uh, where is it? That's in Orlando. That's right. Oh, wow. What a what a week it has been for Disney. Oh. Gosh. Disney Plus. Are you a Disney Plus uh, subscriber? I got it yesterday. Oh, I have not got it yet. I, I I'm did. Shocked. I'm on the seven day free trial. Okay. We need to talk about that next week. Yes. Disney, Disney's done like 10 million subscribers in the first week, which is absolutely ludicrous. Isn't, I heard through the grapevine, this is kind of a tangent, but isn't their whole strategy to, especially with the merger of ESPN and Hulu, they don't really care about the monetary value that they're getting right now. They just want to surpass Netflix and subscribers and will kind of build up that monetary value on the back end. I, am I making I that up? I, you know, I'll be honest with you. I think right now Disney is just crushing it because Disney... If nothing else, Disney has built so much brand equity with Disney Plus. People are tweeting about it. People are, you know, watching old shows that they used to not watch. So it's the same kind of thing that Disney used to do with their vault, right? So they used to release stuff in spurts. Yep. And that's how people used to consume their content. And then they said, well, people want to watch our stuff all the time. So we might as well just give it to them and, and let them pay for it. I mean, it's for the the friend group that i'm in we're all starting to get married and have children and this is just nostalgia not only for the parents but it's building up memories with now the children that can watch movies that came out even before we were born like snow white and all those um movies that are slipping my memory but yeah what a great week for disney anyways if you're out at the iapa show look out for the market scalians that are running around um be sure to tweet out at the show let us know that you're there and yeah, that's about it for me this week. Look at that. Our cue just hit at the, at the right time. Well, perfect. Well, everyone have a great rest of your Monday, a great rest of your week, and always remember, Mavericks don't run with the herd. Mm-hmm.